Latter-day Liberty Podcast, Episode 6. Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is Latter-day Liberty Podcast with your hosts, Matt Kent and Daryl Portsline. Um, today, we're going to get into something that um, both uh, both Daryl and I are very passionate about, I guess you could say. Um, this is this is probably going to be one of those episodes where um, Daryl's going to have to calm me down a little. Um, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. I will try to keep it under control, keep it civil uh, while talking about this. But um, But, you know... Just to get things started off in that direction, um, you know, Daryl, as we are going through right now, um, we're this is 2016. We're we're in the middle of of uh, all the the debates going on over you know for the next president. Where the presidential debates are happening, and what's interesting is I hear everybody talking about and they're arguing over you know and the 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 level of of taxation and and what we need to be taxed on and all this stuff. So today we're going to be talking about taxation. If you didn't already pick up on that, but one thing that uh, Tom Woods points out quite often, and I and I tend to agree with him, but he 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 points out the fact you know it's interesting that they will argue over you know hey should we tax at thirty four percent or should we tax at thirty two percent? You know that's what's being discussed. That's what's being argued. They don't ever actually take into consideration, it, well, should we tax at all? Like, is, is taxation all right to use? Is taxation moral? Like, is the, is the institution itself all right to use? So that's what I would like to get into today is, is uh, as a libertarian, obviously, we, we don't believe in, in coercion. And uh, that's at the heart of all taxation. So I thought we could talk about that today. What do you think, Daryl? Yeah, it sounds good. And I'm glad that you brought up the... Um, you know, kind of brought it back to the to the root of of libertarianism and um, you know, the the non-aggression principle. Um, again, it it all comes back to that principle. So, um, you know, the idea of the idea of paying for um some organization to to take care of some some task for you. Um, you know, something that's commonly done by the government right now is uh, you know, a lot of our utilities, right? There's nothing wrong with paying an organization for providing you water. The problems come in when you coerce people into paying that organization for that water. Um, and so it, a lot of times I think that um, people view taxation as necessary because the services that it funds are necessary. But of course, there are still plenty of necessary services that we're not taxed for, like food. Like food is pretty necessary for survival, but we don't tax people for it yet. I mean, we might uh, eventually <laughs> the way we're going. But uh, so it's just it's kind of interesting what we've decided to tax people for, what we've not, what we've decided not to tax people for, um, and how we've kind of come to 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 get where we are today with with taxation. Um, and it's interesting that. Uh, Taxation, the taxation levels that we have today um, would would be, uh, I think, you know, the founders um, and even we'll probably get into, you know, people in the in the time of the Book of Mormon w would have viewed our levels of taxation today as extremely high um, and, and extremely um, unjust. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that's that's something that. Um... The, actually, we can get right into the scriptures for that one, because if you if you take a look in uh, in in the Book of Mormon, especially, it, this is what's interesting about if you go back and just take a look at taxation whenever 
it is mentioned, right? Um, taxation is never mentioned in the scriptures in in, in a positive light. I'll, I'll just put it that way. <laughs> it's always, you know, um, associated with with other either wickedness or um, like in Mosiah, it's associated with both wickedness and uh, and slavery, right? Um, it talks about it being that that thing that is grievous to be born. Um, and at that point, it, it that was in reference to King Noah. And he's putting a, a taxation of one fifth part of everything that they brought in, so so that a twenty percent income tax, and I didn't notice it mentioning any tariffs or you know excise tax or you know death taxes along those. I I believe that's all it was it was mentioning is is the idea that you know they had they had an income tax, and uh, so that is something to keep in mind as well is that. Um, I don't know it, the the amount of taxation that we've got going on right now, um, is 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 one of those things that it does make you you pause a little bit and and take things into consideration. Now now I will I do want to play devil's advocate here because I do feel like once we get into this I I hear a lot of arguments against um, you know getting rid of taxation and that as well. And one of the the very very common the first things that people at will ask. Is you know, and I'll pose this question to you, Daryl. You know, well, how would you fund government without taxation then? And of course, as I've talked to people about this, that's one of the first things that comes up is, well, I mean, we have to tax, or the government would just would wouldn't work. Like you, ha- you have to tax people. Um, the the I think. Well, and answer to other people is, well, why? Why would government? Why does government have to tax us? What? Why do they? Why do they have to resort to coercion to get us to f- to fund their projects? Right. Well, it's because if they didn't coerce us into paying our taxes, we wouldn't pay them. Well, why? Why wouldn't we pay them? And that's that's where you really start realizing that oh, we wouldn't pay our taxes because we don't like the services being rendered because they're being forced on us. They're not what we would voluntarily buy ourselves. And so you can kind of walk that back and see how that that gets us into a whole lot of problems where not only are we coercing people to pay for things that they don't necessarily use, but we are, um, we are literally, um, I mean, you can think of it as a, a form of slavery, right? I mean, we, we are saying that you have to use XY service because the government has decided that's what's best for you. And you have to work a portion of every year of your life to pay for those services that you may or may not use. Um, and, and I think I would, I would just kind of pose that argument and say, well, what is the difference between forcing someone to work without pay for things that they may or may not want? What is the difference between that and slavery? And, and maybe I'll kick it back over to you. I'm posing the idea that taxation is slavery. What do you, what do you think about how, how can you defend that it's not slavery? No. And that, and that's one of the, <laughs> that is exactly one of those, those points that when it, when it's brought up and you think about it along those lines, um, this is something that Murray Rothbard br- brings up quite often or quite a bit in his book, um, you know, that we mentioned last time, the For a New Liberty. His, 
his assessment of that really kind of opened my eyes as far as, you know, this is forced labor. You've got the people that are trying to pay their taxes. So if I'm paying taxes, a percentage of my time, is, of my work time is spent doing nothing but trying to earn money to pay towards government. And so it's it's not money that I can, you know, I can get back. It's not, it's nothing that I can, it's, it's coerced out of me. First off, I have to do it or else I'm going to go to jail. Um, and second off, the employer has to keep track of all that as well. The employer has to, you know, go through all this, this time and effort of making sure that the taxes are taken out and paid properly. That is time and effort that they are not compensated for. Um, and then you look at, you know, at the end of the year when you're, when you're trying to pay your taxes before, you know, you have to put all of this stuff uh, together in, in taxes uh, for your tax forms and all this stuff to report to the government. This is all time spent and labor, you know, expended just to pay your taxes. That, that is forced labor. If you don't do this labor, you will go to jail. And so that, yeah, like you said, there, if you think about what slavery really is, we talked about it, you know, um, as, as regards to property rights last, you know, for our last episode, but that also gets into, you know, forced labor as well. That's they, slaves are forced to labor for, you know, either no pay or for less pay than, than what they would, they could get on the, on the open market. So yeah, the, the, the relation there to, to slavery is, is I think very, very compelling and very strong. Um, so I, there's just really no way. And I've, I've actually never heard, that's one of my favorite questions to ask somebody that, that is in favor of taxation is, you know, okay, awesome. If you're in favor of taxation, but give me the moral defense of taxation. Give me the moral, you know, the moral argument in favor of taxation. And, and let's see, let's see where that goes. Cause it, there really isn't one. <laughs> it's one set of uh, one group of people um, claiming that they have the right to uh, expropriate property from another group of people. So who gives that right? Who, you know, and all that, it, that's where it gets a little bit, I don't know. In my mind, there's no defense of it. And, and that's interesting because when you talk about like, you could split this up into the principled argument of, you know, well, first off, taxation, like uh, Judge Napolitano ta talks about, you know, taxation is theft. Taxation is taking coercively somebody else's property without their permission. That is theft. So you've got the principled argument on, on, on the one side, but most of the arguments I hear, uh, you know, in favor of taxation, they're usually the utilitarian arguments of, you know, well, but it serves these purposes. And so um, I, let me throw these, this out to you then. It, so if, if you can't tax, you know, coercively then, well, how would you pay for the roads? You know, how, how would you, th these are usually, it's the services that come back. So I'll just throw this out to you. Um, what, what do you say to somebody that says, you know, this is taxation is just for, that's a payment for services rendered, you know, like your roads and, and, and infrastructure and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's definitely one that I've, that I've heard before. Um, someone uh, was talking with a, a friend of mine and, and talking about how, you know, taxation is theft. Basically I brought, brought that idea up and um, the answer was that, well, I, I don't view it as theft. I just view it as, you know, my, my duty to pay for the services that I'm getting. Like, it, I mean, if I drive on the roads, but I don't pay for them, I mean, now I'm stealing the roads. Right. And so <clears throat> kind of flipped that argument around a little bit. Um, the interesting part about that is if you, if you think about, I mean, if you just think of like a more simple, like a one-on-one -on -one scenario, right? And <clears throat> you don't have any road in front of your house, 
your neighbor's right next to you. You don't have a road. Well, your neighbor doesn't really care. He's fine without a road. You know, he doesn't use a car, whatever, whatever the situation is, but you really want a road in front of your house and it, and it would have to go in front of both of your houses and you would get a lot of use out of it. Your neighbor, not so much, but you've decided that for the public good, in this case, only two people, but for the public good, you're going to make sure that a road is built and you can't afford it on your own. So you're going to go to your neighbor and say, Hey, you got to come fund this road. Your neighbor says no, because I don't want I don't want to use that road. Well, it's basically the same as sticking a gun to your neighbor's head and saying, no, you are going to fund this road or I'm going to lock you in my basement for X amount of years. Right. Um, and I think when you bring it down to that level, it hits home with people a little bit more. But the problems come in when you when you have when you start dealing in in hundreds and thousands and millions of people, right? Now, somehow, the idea that, well, it's the majority holding the gun to the minority's head and making them, you know, pay these taxes. And, um, you know, I, I, would, I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Why is that, n- how is that not really any different than just the one-on-one scenario that I brought up? Well, and that's, uh, you bring up a very good point, and this is this is where um, the numbers really do start to to skew things. And and for some reason, and I I mean I fell into this camp as well. You know, for a long time, I I viewed this as well. You know, it, there is a certain point at which you reach enough you know people in the population that you you just have to you just have to let the the majority vote, and you know whatever they decide is is okay. Then that's what you go with, but. That's, you know, the more I've looked into this, it, like you said, it's, there really is no difference. It, it, it's, it, at what point, so, and I actually, in one of my blog posts, I brought this up, but I, you know, I, I said, you know, let's start with, um, well, actually this is from President Benson. He, he says, let's start with, you know, there's two, there's two pioneers that come into a brand new area, right? They come in, they settle the, the land. So you've got two families there and, you know, does, does family A have the right to take anything from family B, you know, like a horse that family B really isn't using as much, but family A could really use it, you know, for their family. Do they have the right just to come in and and forcefully take that horse from family B? If family B didn't want to share it with them, then, you know, we'd all recognize that as theft, right? But what if family C moves in as well now? So now you've got three families and two of them decide, yes, family A really should have that horse. So we're going to vote on this and we're going to take that I, I don't think that anybody would really view that still as, you know, that, that would still be, you know, that's, that's theft. That's just a small group of people. You can't count that as, you know, some democratic, you know, uh, process where two families are against one and taking that horse. Well, in my mind, I just felt, like, and that's in my article, I said, I said, okay, let's, then let's keep expanding. Well, at what point do you get what, at what size of people do you get where you, all of a sudden something that was immoral becomes moral, you know, where the majority can vote on it and say, yep, that horse has to go to family A. At what point do you get to that, to where all of a sudden that morality changes and, and it doesn't, right? Like it really, 
it there it never reaches that point. It just ends up being mob rule and de, you know democracy in the wrong hands or or when when people go against what they're supposed to be doing, you'll have all sorts of of moral implications and moral problems when that when you when you allow that to happen. It, it, there there's no difference between the majority like you said, the majority holding the gun to the min- minority's head, you know, if there's a million people or three people. That's it's the exact same principle across the board. So that I mean that would be the principled um, you know, argument against that. And, and what I would bring up as well is um, if, if you take your example and expand it a bit, I would say, you know, <clears throat> let's, let's say that everybody agrees that you cannot delegate to government because government's created by the people. You can't delegate to government um, the authority or the right to do things that you as an individual cannot do yourself, right? So if that's something that we accept, like you brought up, what service is there that you could provide that you would be justified in taking that gun over to your neighbor's house and pointing at his head and making him pay for a service that he doesn't care for? You know, what, what service could you provide your neighbor that you're justified in forcefully taking that, that money from him? And yeah, that's to me that <laughs> I don't think you ever reached that point. Right. Um, I think the probably... Yeah, I'm just kind of trying to trying to think about you know possible possible responses to that um, that that I might hear, um, and I think that you know probably one of the first things that that would be thrown out there is, well, okay, I, I understand that I shouldn't be um, coercing people to pay for you know s- a certain utility company. I shouldn't be for, and maybe we'll even maybe we'll even. Uh, win somebody over on the idea that I can't forcefully take money from somebody to pay for a road. But I think that it would then get down to the, you know, well, what's people would think of the most bare bones government and, um, you know, the idea of, uh, like protection, you know, uh, police protection against, you know, brutality, murder, you know, things like that. Um, are are though I mean, is the service of having police patrol and make sure nobody gets murdered is that okay to to coercively um, have somebody pay for? What do you think? Well, and I'll throw this back over to you, but I guess for me that you know it would be it would be one of those uh, that where. I don't know. I, and we, again, th- what's interesting is you and I keep coming back to the principled arguments, right? Like the argument against the, the morality of it and, and that sort of thing. Um, there are other utilitarian arguments as well, but, and we can get into those. But but yeah, I, I would I would pose the question to you if it, let's take national defense, right? And this is something that you and I have heard quite often from people in defense of taxation. You Well, how would we defend the country? Well, um, Murray Rothbard speaks to this quite often too, but I'll, I'll I'll open that up to you. What what do you feel like would be, you know, how how would we defend ourselves? Yeah, I, I this is something that I, that I've you know maybe more recently um, kind of changed my thinking on um, because you know I've always viewed that well if we're going to tax people for anything I mean you know uh, our the the military and and the defense of our of our country is is probably the thing that would be most justified right um i certainly thought that way really not in the too distant past but um the interesting thing the or the 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 thing that i came around on is that i started realizing well what does defense actually mean 
like what does it look like when I'm when I'm defending myself, you know? And again, we can bring it down to the smaller scale to to make it a little easier to wrap our brains around. Um, how do I def- how would I defend myself um, in, in the case of you know my neighborhood is is under attack by the neighborhood next door? You know, we have a we have rival rival neighborhoods, and you know they're coming into our neighborhood to to attack us. Well, what would that look like? Well, I would have my guns and, you know, whatever I have to protect myself. And I would voluntarily go out there and defend my home and my neighborhood because I value those things. Those are things I want to protect. And if, if this aggressive neighborhood next door is coming in to, to take those things from me, well, I have the right to defend myself, but I do not have the right to, again, hold a gun to my neighbor's head and say, you have to defend us too. No, he is defending his own lands and his own things. If he has come to the conclusion that this war is not justified, well, he has every right to abstain from the war and hope that right, that the other rival neighborhood doesn't come in and, and kill him, right? But if that neighbor did try to come in and kill his family, he'd probably join in too. So we have to kind of rethink what a defensive war looks like. And does a defensive war really look like dropping bombs and nukes on countries across the world? I don't. I don't think that's what defense looks like. Again, we're you know you're getting right into the the principled argument. So let's take this to the the utilitarian side. So the 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 actual like negative implications of this. So for example, let's take your example, and this is what conscription is, right? You're literally holding a gun to somebody's head, and you're saying you're going to you're going to go risk your life um, and and defend your country. Okay, awesome. Um, he grabs his gun and then he comes out with you and, and uh, now what? Like, you've got to keep an eye on him always. If he didn't want to be out here in the first place, how well is he going to be? You know, how well of a defender is he going to be? Like, how great is he going to be at this? He, probably not very. It, and in, in fact, he could possibly become, you know, an antagonist on, you know, that you have to worry about the whole time. This, again, he becomes a distraction. He becomes all sorts of, you know, you're better off just leaving him at home. <laughs> let let him decide not to participate in this sort of thing, because this is, it, you don't want somebody that's not dedicated to this kind of thing out there at your side, trying to, you know, I would rather have somebody that is really on board trying to defend his his home and his property and his his wife and kids than than somebody that you know well, I don't know I don't really want to be here but you know well I'm I'm being forced to be here I, I don't want to fight against the, fight alongside that guy I would rather <laughs> I would rather him be at home you know you just wait if we lose they'll come in and, and wipe you out anyway so whatever um, but so you've got you've got the utilitarian argument um, for this as well so if you go um, if you take that and and look in other areas, so not just just defense, but the utilitarian argument for taxation and and my utilitarian argument against taxation is if you take a look at um, what what government does well, um, i I personally can't list anything really. Um, and there's a reason for that. When we talk about, you know, well, we need, you know, government is the least efficient. They're the least effective at doing anything. And why is that? Well, I know people that work in government and they're not bad people. They're, they're actually really good people. So what, what is it that causes that? And if you t- really boil it down to, you know, what, why that is, it, um, 
Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises actually gets into this, and he talks about the, the problem that government has is that they lose the, the profit scale. They lose the ability to pull in a profit. And what does profit tell a company? It tells a company whether or not they're actually providing a, a valuable service. The government, they're taking our money. So because they have the money up front through taxation, there's no way for them to assess whether or not they're actually doing a good job or not. Because if they're doing a good job, they would end up, you know, like a company, they would end up with, a great, with greater profits. People would, would, would spend more for that. And this goes back to your question, you know, why, why is it that we have to coercively take money through taxation to, to support the government? Well, I would, I would argue that that's because most of the services that they provide aren't valuable. They, they aren't actually adding value uh, to... to uh, to the community or to the you know the citizens, that's why we wouldn't voluntarily pay for. It. I would voluntarily pay for the the uh, you know a, a fire s- service or whatever uh, f- um, the firemen or whatever to to work and and to ensure that I'm you know if my house catches on fire, I've got somebody I can call and come put the fire out. I would pay for a service like that. I I would not pay for a service where I call somebody, they come in with guns blazing, you know, and and they could kill somebody. I don't know. There, there are plenty of services. I, I, I wouldn't voluntarily pay for the IRS. Um, that would go away. But, um, but you know, if you, if you think about what it is that, that we really struggle with with, with uh, government intervention in the first place, most of those services that are provided um, wouldn't be voluntarily paid for, and that, that tells you something. You know, that the service itself is not valuable. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the profit motive thing. Um, I was actually talking to my wife about this a little bit last night. Um, we always get into discussions about education because we're both pretty passionate about that. We're starting to think about that as our kids are getting older and, and, and we're start trying, starting to think about how we want to educate them. And, and uh, her, being a school teacher, she has some, some insight on this topic um, from a different perspective than, than I do. But we were just talking about how, um, you know, why, why is the government school system so bad? And I kind of posed the idea that, well, it's because they've taken our money before providing the service. They already have our money. So they don't really have an incentive to provide a good service in return because they've already taken that money. They don't need to beg and plead and show how awesome they are to get that money from us. They, they've, already, they've already got it. So, and again, it's not because there are bad people in those school systems. My wife was in there. She, she's a great person. Um, but I, I kind of asked her the other day a question. When you were a school teacher, did you view the parents and children that you, that were in, that, that were, you know, taking part in, in your school, did you view them as your customers? And she kind of paused for a minute and was like, well, no, I didn't. And I said, that's the problem right there. You had a completely backwards view of who you're working for. You you were working for quote unquote society, right? Well, what the heck does that mean? That doesn't, that doesn't give you any incentive to do the right thing where when you're looking at your parent and your parent is coming in complaining about X or Y because their child isn't being taken care of properly. When you view that parent as your customer, you, that changes your whole, the whole way that you deal with that problem. And, you know, the whole customer is always right thing, right? I mean, you're going to bend over backwards to make sure your customers are happy because they're the ones paying your paycheck, essentially. And the way we have it right now just completely messes up all of those incentives. Um, so that 
that is one that I can really, uh, you know, kind of dig my teeth into and my wife will get into it with me as well. Um, because, you know, I, I think the education system is messed up as a direct result of how it's funded. Right. And that's, and that gets right into, you know, the idea that, so taxation actually incentivizes poor behavior. So it doesn't just, you know, like take that ability away to, to know whether or not you're, you're providing, um, a valuable service, but it also, it actually incentivizes bad behavior, right? Like I've met your wife. She is fantastic. She's a great person, great heart. There's no way that she would be out like deliberately, you know, harming kids or or whatever. But again, it, it, you know, who was her customer? It's administration. So she's not, she's not, you know, she's not taught to, Hey, let's, let's provide an awesome service to the teacher or to the kids and to their parents. It's, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to comply with these, you know, with these rules because, you know, because that's where the money's coming from. We don't want that to dry up. It actually incentivizes the wrong behavior. And if there's one point that was made by um, a, a gentleman, I cannot remember his name or the book that this comes from, but he talks about the problems that the government, um, you know, having government in the first place, the, the problems that it, that, it, that it causes. And one of those things he brings up, he says, you know, let's let's think about any service that's provided. If, for example, um, you are paying a company to to protect you against, you know, fraud, right? If they fail at that, are you coming in there and going, you know, well, you know, could they come to you and say, well, we, it's because our, you know, our infrastructure and that isn't, isn't fantastic and we need more money to do better with our, if, if you give us more money, we'll improve our process and then th- this won't happen again. Well, no, you'd, you'd go looking for somebody else there. They've already been motivated to do what is right, you know, to, to improve their process and, and that sort of thing and, and offer it at a, at a lower price than their competitor. Whereas if you look at government, it is the exact opposite. We got attacked on 9-11. That is a total failure of our national security uh, system like that. That is a total failure of that department. Well, what, what happened from that? Holy cow, we need more money to throw at this thing. They ended up getting more money. They got funded. They got more power. We got the Patriot Act. We got it. You literally are incentivizing the wrong behavior. You, you, they, they uh, neglected on things or whatever. You know, they did not, pro- they did not provide the, the, the service they were even um, touting that they could provide and they got more money for it. That's amazing to me. Like it's the exact opposite of what it would be anywhere else. It actually incentivizes the wrong behavior. Yeah, and and the government actually defrauded the entire population on that, right? I mean, the the our national defense programs they're literally sold to us as we're going to prevent terrorist attacks. We're going to prevent all of these horrible things from happening to you. And then when it doesn't happen, they just say, well, it's because we didn't have enough money and, and we didn't, you know, some inti- we had some bad intelligence and we, d- we just didn't see this coming. Well, that, that's unacceptable. Any company that did that to you, you'd, you'd immediately stop giving them your money and you'd go find a better one. You could even make the argument that stopping an attack like that w- was impossible, right? You could say that, well, th- they were trying to do the impossible, so of course they were going to fail. Well, again, how, how, how can you make the argument that that's okay? They're literally force making you 
pay for a service that they cannot even provide. They <laughs> they know they can't even provide the service, yet they're still going to take your money for it anyway. Yeah, I can sell you unicorns, and you know, but you know, it's a service. We're 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 developing unicorns, and we need you to pay us for it. Um, oh, it's impossible, but we need you to continue pay, paying for it. Yeah, it it really is funny that you bring that up because that that really is no excuse, right? I would not pay a company any money to to attempt to provide me a service that is impossible. Well, there you go. Like, <laughs> all right. So I, I've been trying very hard to keep my um, emotions under control. I'm, I'm hoping I did all right. Um, the last thing I did want to bring up, though, because I, I hear this a lot, and I'm going to pose this to you first. But um, when it talks about taxation, when we talk about taxation being immoral, um, a lot of times what will come up um, is the reference to when, you know, Jesus paid taxes as well. And he was, he was actually questioned by the Pharisees, you know, hey, is it, is it all right to pay taxes? Should we pay Caesar, you know, this money or not? And they were trying to trap him. And he ends up asking them, you know, well, whose face is on the gold coin? Um, and then his comment at that point is, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, right? What is Caesar's and to God what is God's? What what do you how do you answer something along those lines? Because I've I've heard this brought up quite often, um, but you know what? How would you take that? Um, how would you answer that that kind of a a, a complaint? Well, um, and it, this is obviously something that that we've talked about before, and I, I think it's a really really interesting scripture. Um, the the first thing that that you know that I thought of when I when I was thinking of this scripture in this in this light of, of taxation I mean I, I think some people would view this as well this is this is the scriptural defense for taxation um, I don't see it that way personally I, I think that well first of all I think that we focus on the wrong the wrong parts of this scripture um, the uh, Jesus's point in his response is not to defend the institution of taxation, but it is to help um, those that are listening think about uh, where their where their priorities lie. So he, he's trying to get he's trying to get them to understand that. Well, you know, if you have an obligation to Caesar, well, sure, meet that obligation. But your real obligation what what is your real obligation? It's to God. And that is your first priority. And so I think we we focus so much on the on the render unto Caesar part, but we forget about the render unto God part. The render unto God part is the most important thing. So a good way to think about this is, um, you know, if Caesar had passed some law or started taxing them for some completely immoral thing, right? Like like I'm going to tax you all so that I can go and um, kill all of your firstborn children. Well. Do you render under Caesar or do you render under God? Right? So the, the answer there is obvious. Well, of course, um, killing the firstborn children, um, Caesar coming in and killing your firstborn children is obviously immoral. So you render unto God. You don't pay taxes for that. You keep that. <laughs> you keep that. And you say, you're going to have to fund your you know crazy child-killing campaign yourself, Caesar. So um, I, I think that's kind of the way I look at it is, is you know, the render unto God part is the important part. And we, we need to not lose sight of that. Right. And I think it was you that, that brought up that in the Doctrine and Covenants, it, it mentions, it uses the same kind of wording when they're, when they're moving into a new area. And, you know, God's telling them, you know, 
um, to to pay for the lands that they're they're coming into uh, that they're that they're trying to um, inhabit as well. You know, if somebody already owns it, we're not just taking it. You pay for it, and, and you render unto them, you know, what they're due or whatever. And and the, I'm I'm not quoting it, it perfectly, so that that's probably not great. But um, but it's the same language. And this is I actually I'm I'm right on board with you on on your assessment of this. My personal opinion is that this is Christ actually, he loved to turn things on them as well, right? Like when they bring the the harlot to him that's been caught in in adultery, you know, he says, hey, great, we're going to stone her. Let's let the first person, you know, the first person to throw the stone, let's let it be somebody that doesn't have any sin. Well, automatically, <laughs> I mean, you know, their own consciences, you know, cause problems for themselves that nobody can throw that stone because, well, they, they, nobody is without sin. I think this is the exact same type of thing. They, they, they pose a question to him. And like you said, you know, they're focusing on the wrong part in this scripture. I believe it was him turning it on them as well. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. So when people are moving into a new area, like in the Doctrine and Covenants, if somebody does own that land, you're going to render that to them their due for that land. You're going to pay for that land. You're not going to just go in and take it from them. So what Christ is asking at this point, in my mind, if you are using this as an argument for taxation, you literally are arguing that Caesar owns all the money. Every coin that's in everybody's in everybody's pocket, Caesar owns that money. And so you're going to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, this literally is is God putting, you know, Christ putting this to the the Pharisees. Well, what does Caesar own? You know, what where are your priorities? Where what do you believe Caesar owns? You know, what do you what do you believe is his due? And they didn't want to answer that one either. I don't think they, you know, they they kind of left that one alone too. But again, you know, if you are if you are uh, making the argument that the government has the right to tax us, you literally are making the argument it's because they own all the money. They're the ones that get to decide what percentage they take as well. So, I mean, they own all of it. Um, I don't think that you could, I don't think that anybody would really, really honestly try to make that kind of an argument. You know, I've, I've worked, I've earned this money. It should be mine. We get back into property rights at that point. So, Anyways, and that brings us full circle right back to where we, what we've already covered in property rights and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. We, there's more we could get into, but I, I think that's going to, we're going to need to wrap it up there. I think we're already running a little over time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. As, as you can tell, we're a little bit uh, passionate about this. Um, we could get more into, you know, at some point how this, how taxation actually hurts the poor more than anybody else and, and that sort of thing. So um, we, we'll get more into that at another at another point. But is there anything else? Else that you wanted to, to um, clarify or, or bring up just before we end? Oh, I think that's uh, I think that's good for now. Like you said, there's there's so many directions to go with this topic. Um, it'd be fun to fun to get in some into some of the other ones. Um, you know, just maybe throw it out there to keep our listeners coming back. Um, you yeah. know, I think one of the most <laughs> insidious forms of taxation is actually inflation. Um, and and ah. maybe maybe a lot of people don't think about inflation as a tax, but I think it is actually one of the most harmful taxes that we have, and I, I'd love to get into that sometime. Yeah, and actually that's um, uh, one of the topics I'd like to get into very soon is is uh, the idea of what the role that economics plays in politics and uh, and how it, it taints things a little bit. So, alrighty, well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we see you again next time. Have a great one.